This is Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week on how to live well. Shine On is heard all over the world as a podcast, but it's heard first on the radio in New York's Hudson Valley. Hi, it's Casey. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. We have a very special guest today, Temple Grandin, the famous author and scientist and innovator who is on the autism spectrum. Claire Dane starred in the Temple Grandin movie, which you can find on HBO Max, I believe. You can still stream that. Great movie. That movie was really helpful in showing me how visual thinkers think, and Temple Grandin thinks in pictures. And her new book is an absolute treasure. It's called Visual Thinking. Well, when I was in my 20s, I thought everybody was a visual thinker who just saw pictures in their their imagination. And I didn't find out until I was in my 30s that other people think verbally. The first step is realizing that different kinds of thinking exist. And if you watch the HBO movie, it shows how pictures flash up in my imagination. You know, if you say something to me, Okay, think about a church steeple. How does it come into your mind? The visual thinker will see pictures flash into their mind of specific churches, where somebody who's very verbal might just get two little pointy lines and not see any any detail. And different kinds of thinkers are good at different kinds of things. Object visualizers like me, we're really terrible at higher math, but we're really good at art and mechanical things, animals, and photography. And then, of course, you've got your mathematical minds that are really good at computer programming, music, and the mathematical parts of engineering. I did watch the movie, and that was so helpful. The way they showed us how your mind works, that was so very helpful. How can we help children today to bring out their gifts if they're visual thinkers or even if they're not? Well, I think kids need to be exposed to a lot of different things. I think one of the worst things the schools did is taking out the hands-on classes because when I was in elementary school, I had woodworking, I had art, I had sewing, um, I was building things, I was using tools. Um, I also got exposed to musical instruments, so that's something I was not good at. But you don't know. You've got to expose kids to lots of different things. We had theater in our school, and I didn't care about acting in the play, but I loved making costumes and scenery. In fact, I made uh, costumes with my toy sewing machine that actually sewed. So you've got to expose kids to lots of different things. I worked with super-skilled tradespeople that built and designed equipment for me that may, may have taken a single welding class and barely graduated from high school. So I'm a big proponent of exposing kids to lots of different things, 3D printing, robotics, computer programming, higher math, um, so then they can kind of gravitate towards the thing that they could be really good at. And a lot of people are mixtures of different kinds of thinking. I remember being in a Montessori school and watching kids learn math by measuring out their cereal and their milk with measuring cups. And it blew my mind because I didn't learn that way in my regular public school. Well, in fact, it's interesting that a lot of Silicon Valley parents um, put their kids in Montessori schools. They also limit the video games because I'm seeing too many kids, um, they're getting addicted to video games and they're not doing anything else. And they're not getting fabulous computer jobs. If they were getting fabulous animation or computer jobs, I would not be critical of it. But the kind of uh, kids that are likely to get addicted to video games sometimes can 
get into auto mechanics and find that that's more interesting, that motors are more interesting. Mm. And the thing is, we need these diverse minds and these diverse skills. We have a big problem right now with skill loss for really important things like building infrastructure, for example. Right. How can parents and teachers identify visual kids, visual thinkers early on? How can we spot them? Well, you're not going to identify it in three-year-olds for most cases. Uh, My ability at art started showing up around um, second and third grade, like at eight years of age. That's when it became really obvious. Or if the kid's going to be the visual, spatial, mathematical mind, you know, he, he's, he's understanding numbers. Then those kids need to be um, given higher math. They need to be given um, computer programming, see if they can do that. You've got to expose kids to things. Also, these math kids do it in their head. And the teacher says, well, you've got to have to do it where you, put, you um, go step by step and show the work. But that is not how these kids think. They think differently. And there's kids maybe in fourth grade that need a high school math book. Right. They need to be moved ahead in that, and they may need help in reading. I know kids, a bunch of them, who have gotten punished in class for not taking notes when taking notes isn't how their mind works, right? So we're trying to satisfy the teacher's need to see students taking notes, and they might not be tuned in that different minds work different ways, right? Well, I'm one that took lots of notes, mm-hmm. so that helped me. Now, if the kid can get good grades in the class without taking notes then fine. Um, You know, different minds think differently. And when you get a label like autism, ADHD, or dyslexic, you tend to have more extreme skills, like an extreme object visualizer who's horrible in algebra, but can design equipment and have multiple patents. Or you get an extreme mathematician uh, who can be be moved ahead in math and going to higher level engineering stuff. We're talking to Temple Grandin. Her book is Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. And tell everybody, Temple, why you want to bring out these gifts. Why does the world need these kind of workers? Well, in 2019, right before COVID shut everything down, I went to four places where I realized we've got a skill loss problem. I went to two state-of-the-art pork processing plants and a state-of-the-art poultry processing plant, and almost all of the equipment was imported from Europe because in Europe they've kept their skilled trades. We're not making the equipment anymore. You see, what's happening is the people I worked with 20 years ago in my career have retired, and they're not getting replaced. Then I went out to the Steve Jobs Theater, and the structural glass walls from came from Italy and Germany. We're not making some of these highly specialized things. So taking the shop classes out 20 years ago, we're paying for that now. Another big mistake that many corporations made was taking out in-house engineering departments. So those two things have made a perfect storm now. It's coming up to bite our butt because the people I worked with are retiring and we don't have people to fix elevators and escalators. I've been on um, some pretty dicey elevators recently that were doing things like skipping floors at a major fancy hotel. So we need everybody's brain and all the different ways they work to help our country work, to help our, our lives Well, that, and, and they can be complementary skills, because when I was out on these big construction projects, the my kind of mind, who may have barely graduated from high school, is inventing and patenting things like packaging equipment, all kinds of complex mechanical devices, and the degreed engineer with the university degree was doing boilers and refrigeration and making sure the wind doesn't blow the building down or the snow doesn't cave in. Mm. You see, we need the minds working together in a cooperative manner. 
when we did my book, Visual Thinking, I'm kind of an associative thinker. I'm kind of disorganized. So I wrote the rough drafts, and then Betsy, my fabulous verbal thinker, she smoothed everything out and made it absolutely beautiful. We were a perfect team working together, using our complementary skills. You know, we had Hurricane Ian, and I remember watching engineers on television talking about how they designed certain buildings to withstand certain storms. Um, These are the kind of skills, too, that we're talking about, the engineering minds, right? Oh, absolutely. And and wind load on a building is much more mathematical. But then, in, in, in Visual Thinking Book, I described disasters like Fukushima, and I couldn't believe it. If they'd had watertight doors that disaster wouldn't have happened. You see, to calculate wind load on a building, that is mathematics. But I see risk, and I couldn't believe it. The tsunami came in, flooded Fukushima. Watertight doors would have saved it. Wow. The I see risk. The electrically operated emergency cooling pump was drowned and did not work underwater. Simple watertight doors, and it would not have happened. Right. You see that seeing risk. You see, the wind load enables you to build a building, and you need that calculation. So you need to have both. But you also need someone to say, hey, the water's just going to come in here and wreck this. They had done a perfect job on the shaking of the earthquake. Fukushima withstood the earthquake just fine. 20 minutes later, the tsunami drowned it. Temple Grandin, Visual Thinking, The Hidden Gifts of People Who Think in Pictures, Patterns, and Abstractions. And what do we know about the minds of, say, like Michelangelo and Einstein? Can we look back and figure out how they thought? Well, um, Michelangelo was an extreme visual thinker. Dropped out of school at age 12. He'd be in special ed today. Einstein did not talk until three. Elon Musk is on the spectrum. Steven Spielberg has an interview where he talks about his dyslexia. All of these would have been um, in special ed today. Now, Steven Spielberg is an example of a student who got exposed. He had a movie camera as a child. You see, that was getting exposed to movies early. This whole exposure thing is so important. Michelangelo grew up with stone-cutting tools, and he was exposed to great art because all the churches were commissioning art. Einstein worked in the patent office where he would have seen all kinds of ideas. Talk to, if you could, just for a minute, both parents and special ed teachers. So parents of quote-unquote special ed students and teachers of special ed students, what would you like them to know? We need to build on strengths. Now, autism ranges from somebody like Einstein to somebody who cannot dress themselves. We have to look at what they can do. Oftentimes, there's a tendency of parents to overprotect. I'm seeing fully verbal kids that are not learning basic skills like doing laundry and shopping. And take the thing they're good at and expand it. So you might have a fixated interest in cars. Well, let's expand it to read about cars. You can do art with cars. You can do math with cars. Take that interest in cars and expand it. That's what you need to be doing. Build up on the things they can do. How do you feel about medication? There's a place for medication. And in my book, Thinking in Pictures, I'm on medication. I've been on antidepressants for 40 years. And it stopped the horrible anxiety that was tearing my health apart. And that's all written up in Thinking in Pictures, my old book. Mm -hmm. And even though it's old, that information is still true. Uh, I don't even know if I'd be alive today at 75 without medication because my health was so wrecked with colitis and physical problems, which cleared up when I went on the medication. Way too many drugs are given to little kids. Way too many drugs given out like candy. Disgusting. Totally disgusting. 
Do, but I can't be against medication right. because it helped me a great deal. Do you realize how many people you're helping? I mean, do you get mailbags or emails, you know, thousands of emails every day? Are people reaching out to you? Yeah, we get a lot of emails to my website, templegrandon.com, and I try to answer, you know, quite a few of them. And then a lot of them, there's frequently asked questions, and uh, people can go to the frequently asked questions. And then I have another book, The Way I See It, which is a good guide for teachers and parents if they first have a child diagnosed with autism. But working with little kids is really important. I was in an excellent early education program when I was two and a half. Right. Do you remember any particular teacher or program that helped you? I had some excellent teachers. I want to absolutely commend my mother, my teachers, great speech teacher. My mother was always pushing me to do new things. Wonderful third grade teacher, fabulous science teacher who got me interested in studying to become a scientist and out at her ranch. And then another mentor was Jim Ool, a contractor, who had saw my drawings, and he uh, was hiring me to sell jobs and design jobs. So mentors are really important. Another mentor was Norb, the superintendent at the Swift plant. There were some really, really good people that mentored me. Yeah. And you're doing so much good in the world. And you said to me years ago, you know, you said, a little bit of autism is genius. And that one sentence changed everything for me. Well, the thing is, is a lot of um, Einstein probably was on the spectrum. Definitely had delayed speech. Uh, Steve, uh, Elon Musk um, announced on Saturday Night Live that he was on the spectrum. And I always thought he was on the spectrum when I first read Ashley Vance's book about him. And I have it marked up. And now I can say it because uh, he's announced it publicly. Right. Well, a lot of people have your books marked up, and I am so happy you are on the planet, Temple Grandin. I have to let you go, but I can't thank you enough for all you've done. Well, thank you for having me, and I hope everybody goes out and gets some visual thinking. It's available in all the bookstores. Thank you so much. She is the one and only Temple Grandin. Her book, Visual Thinking, and she has so many great ideas about kids on the autism spectrum. Take the thing that they're interested in and expand upon it, and expose kids to as many things as you possibly can. Like the dyslexic Steven Spielberg finding cameras at a young age, and aren't we all happy he did? Now, dyslexia isn't autism, but the conversation is open to all the ways our brains are different and all the ways our brains are still miraculous. Kelly Clarkson was talking to Henry Winkler this week on her show. Kelly's daughter is being bullied because she's dyslexic and the kids at school make fun of her because she doesn't read as well. Henry Winkler, the fantastic actor and author of more than 30 books, also dyslexic, and he gave Kelly and her daughter some amazing advice, saying how you learn is no reflection on how brilliant you are. And as Temple mentioned, often with this different piece comes a great gift. I think of my husband who is also dyslexic, yet he has this incredible photographic memory for geography. If he's been somewhere, even if it's just on a highway, he remembers every inch of it, every exit sign. It's crazy because I never know where I am. He'll call me and he'll say, where are you? And I'll say, I think I'm in Garrison. I don't know for sure. And he's like, well, what do you see? And I'm like, trees. <laughs> he's like, what kind of trees? But you know what I mean, right? That little bit of difference 
comes with a little bit of magic. And we're putting ourselves in the conversations now, too. We're realizing as we meet more people with different brains and different ways of interpreting the world, we're starting to say, hey, I've got some of that, and I do that, too. Sure, there's still plenty more work to do, but there has been much more acceptance. And that is thanks in part to people like Eliza Bozinski. Eliza works for the Anderson Center for Autism up in Stottsburg, New York, but the good work they do reaches far beyond the Hudson Valley. And Eliza reminds us that there's been many changes and advancements, but some things remain the same. Some things have not changed. The prevalence in terms of um, diagnoses is still higher in boys than in girls. That has been the case since I think as long as this study, this particular study has been going on. Prior to this, it was 1 in 44. It was 1 in 54 before that. I think 1 in 59, 1 in 68. It's, it's been on the same path. I think the conversation is changing, but it will be very interesting to see as the study continues, will this conversation keep evolving and keep changing? And at what point, is it a completely different conversation or is because it's sort of like if 136 children are being diagnosed in the autism spectrum, then when do we go to that comment you just made about, you know, what's just good for everybody, regardless of whether you have got a diagnosis on the autism spectrum or not? So I think for, you know, for the purposes of de- developing more services, having an understanding that this is not, uh, autism is not something that people grow out of, that is still tremendously lacking services for adults and through the lifespan is a real problem and it is a challenge for for a huge number of people in our country and really throughout the world. But I think we should be also talking about the fact that a lot of the things that are good and helpful for people who are uh, on the spectrum are also just helpful and good for any person who might benefit from a little more structure, a little more explanation, some more visual support, some more education for the general public about you know, how to just make space and make room for everybody. How do you feel about integration in the classroom? I think it depends. It it can be a great thing for a, a lot of people. It's not necessarily great for everybody. But honestly, Casey, I feel that way about, uh, I was a teacher a long time ago. I feel that way about pretty much everyone. I think education and the way one goes about uh, learning is so individualized, no matter whether you're on the spectrum or not. It's kind of in keeping with my general philosophy. But I do know that Anderson, for example, recently has expanded up into the uh, the capital region. We have a preschool now up in Latham, New York, as, as well as a clinic. Uh, we also run a preschool classroom, a couple of preschool classrooms in Pine Plains, New York. Some of our, our, our classrooms are uh, integrated, and I think that there's ways to do it really well, where you bring your expertise in working, especially with young children with autism in, a, in an integrated classroom. I think it goes both ways. I think the kids on the spectrum probably gain a lot of uh, experience and benefit from interacting socially with a, a wide variety of of other kids. Um, and I also think that the neurotypical kids in those classrooms are really honestly getting very prepared for what their older lives are going to be, which is, you know, learning alongside people on the spectrum, working alongside the, you know, individuals on the spectrum. And I, I really think also young children can be the kindest, most accepting, wonderful people in the world. So I think there's a lot of joy in, in those settings. Would you like to see more <laughs> programs for people with autism, say like a yoga studio offering a yoga class for people with autism? Is that <laughs> something you'd like to see? Or would you prefer that autistic people just be welcomed into mainstream yoga classes, say? Well, 
I'm an optimist. I want both. I'm an idealist. I think I think uh, I really think both is is important. The nice thing is that I'm seeing more and more of both of those things happening. There's a this is a program that Anderson offers through our Anderson Center Consulting and Training Program. It's called the Autism Supportive Environment Training. We do that. There are other organizations that also offer that type of training. But I see more and more businesses, and very much along the lines of what you're talking about, gyms, yoga studios. I know of a, a martial arts center that just did this and and I talked to the owner about that program. I think it's important to be able to, whenever possible, offer classes and recreational and leisure activities that are welcoming to everybody. For some people, the idea of being in an integrated setting where there's a, for example, as you said, a yoga class that's open to everyone, I think it would work. For other people, they might need to start and feel more comfortable starting in a very small setting where they knew that everybody in that class had autism as well. It really comes down to individual preference, but you can look at it as a stepped process. And I think if we just collectively start saying, you know, it really is not bad for any business to have knowledge and experience and some training about things you can do to make their classes be more welcoming and accepting for everyone, um, there's going to be a place for everyone. And I think that really should be our goal. I would love to see that. I think we would all love to see that. Eliza Bozinski from the Anderson Center for Autism Special Education. It's located in Dutchess County. And you can reach out to them at 845-889-4034 or just visit their website, which is andersoncenterforautism.org. I love the part about training businesses on how to be better equipped for people on the spectrum, how to make everyone feel welcome, and, and also how to be aware, to have an awareness that people on the spectrum or not can be triggered by things that say may happen in your business. And that's not to say those things shouldn't happen, but just that we should all be aware that it's not good for people on the autism spectrum to be cloistered away and not exposed to different situations. We need to have the awareness that there are people on the spectrum and they may be triggered by things. And I think we can all make space for that. What was the thing I saw on social media the other day? Or maybe it was on the show. The sentiment was our very existence creates a life experience someone else has to deal with, right? We walk into a room with whatever we got going on and we create just by our very being a situation that other people react to. Something to think about. Hi, it's Casey. Thanks for tuning in to Shine On. I'm thinking about this summer already. We've got two retreats, one in July at Graymore in Garrison, another in August back at the Mariandale Retreat Center in Ossining. That one comes with a swimming pool and a river view. You can always find out more at caseysplace.com. That's K-A-C-E-Y-S. P-L-A-C-E dot com. And one more story I wanted to share with you. Maybe you saw it in the news this week. It is such a great story. There's a movie coming out next week. It's called Peter Pan and Wendy. It's a Disney movie, and it stars Noah Matthews Matofsky. Noah Matthews Matofsky is 15 years old, and he has Down syndrome. So he has just etched his name in history as the first actor with Down syndrome to star in a Disney film. The story I read said Noah was just a regular kid in West Sussex, southern England, when he heard Disney was holding auditions for their new live-action Peter Pan film, so he sent in an audition tape. 
and he was invited to audition, and he got the part. His mom, Catherine, said Noah is very proud of his extra chromosome, and as captain of the Lost Boys, Noah's character slightly shows that Down syndrome never needs to hold you back. So look for Noah, Matthews, Matofsky, and the other Lost Boys with Peter Pan and Wendy. It's flying on to Disney+. Plus. Actually, we have a few more days for that. That comes out April 28th. Thank you so much for tuning in to Shine On. I always appreciate your company. And our thought for the day comes from the incredible Temple Grandin, whose new book is called Visual Thinking. Temple said, I am different, not less. Shine On. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show, with new episodes every week. It's your time to shine on. Shine On.